I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. Winning, eh? Not too hard a concept, it seems. Three wins in a row. I'm joined by Tom Overend. Tom, how are we doing? I'm excellent, mate. Are we allowed to say that the boys gave everything today? <laughs> well, I gave everything yesterday. That, that is <laughs> yesterday, for sure. Yesterday, that's it. <laughs> that is for I'm sure. I'm still on a high from it. I, I'm just absolutely ecstatic. I think for once we attacked beautifully. The attacking football on offer yesterday, my goodness. And just seeing Chelsea winning it puts me in such a good mood. Let's go. We love to see it. No, indeed, indeed. It was a lovely, lovely day. As I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So, Tom, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and obviously uh, where they can find the Chelsea Social, etc. So I'm at Tovers98 on Twitter and the Chelsea Social is at the Chelsea Social. Um, by all means, go take a follow. I tend to write on there sometimes, do various forms of content. Um, usually a more positive guy when we win. Yeah, nice one. The links will be in the description below. And as listeners know, we get a lot of guys from the Chelsea Social on the pod. Um, right. As Della Soul said, three, that's a magic number. Yes, it is. Three wins in a row in all competitions. Three goals scored yesterday. Three points. Tom, let's start there. Leicester. Oh, that was beautiful. That was one of the most enjoyable performances this season. While at times maybe we were a bit defensively shaky and a bit more open than we have been in recent games. We scored three goals. We had two disallowed and we hit the post as well. That was such an enjoyable performance from Chelsea yesterday. Yeah, I was at the King Power. And as you can tell from my voice, I don't know if I'm fully recovered because the away end was unbelievable it was so loud the fan base was so cheerful 
And it felt like we took that momentum from Stamford Bridge against Dortmund and carried it on to another three points. It's just, and I agree with you completely, the attacking football was brilliant. I mean, in defence, we were a bit shaky, but I still never thought that we were going to, you know, lose the game or not win. Even when Leicester scored, I still, I was still was confident that we would score more goals. And that's a rare thing as a Chelsea fan this season. But the goals were coming thick and fast and the quality of the goals as well. My goodness, that assist for the second goal, the assist for the third goal. Goodness me. This is not the Chelsea we've come to know this season. No, that's that's very, very fair. <laughs> I should just do a quick bit of admin sorry before we go that if there's any listeners who just listen, who literally just check their podcast feeds on a weekend going wondering where is Dortmund? Where is Dortmund? That came out on Thursday. Uh, I didn't want to wait till the weekend. I didn't want to lump it in. I wanted to give it its own separate phrase. So if you not listen, Matt, go which came out Thursday with Daniel Chards talking about that night against Dortmund is really nice. Um he said it's nice we're going to talk about another win here against Leicester. Um, Tom, first goal, it had to be him. It had to be <sighs> him. Ben Chilwell, the man, Leicester fans taunt. Uh, I think, you know, there's back in August when you were sitting on the bench of the game against Leicester, they were singing Ben Chilwell, he sits on your bench. Um, well, he's not sitting on a bench anymore. He's scoring. Uh, a brilliant finish and just continues his excellent recent run of form, getting back to his best. What a strike. I mean, I watched it again and it was hard in the stadium. I was at the King Power and I was, we were all down the other end and I saw it go in and, you you, you know, you, you can see it was a strike. But then I watched it again on the way home and goodness me, what a strike it was. It was really, you know, edge of the box. It wasn't, that was not an easy angle, a good shot to score. And you also have to say Kalatu Kulabali turning into Eden Hazard on that left flank. That was absolutely absolutely brilliant from all of them. And I, I will say it, and I will shout it from the rooftops, Chelsea are a better team when Ben Chilwell is fit and playing. I don't know how anyone can doubt that. He's just, the attacking threat he gives us is just second to none, really, in the league. I don't think there's another left back that in the Premier League that has the attacking threat that Ben Chilwell has, particularly in the 3-4-3 formation, um, you know? I don't know what you think on that, mate, but I just love the guy. Absolute geezer. Yeah, Ben Chilwell created more chances free than <clears> any <throat> other Chelsea player on that pitch. And he's also creating more chances than any other fullback per game in the Champions League this season. So Ben Chilwell is certainly, you know, getting sort of back to his best, adding an attacking friend. As said, you mentioned sort of for attacking sort of left backs better. I was thinking, you know, there was maybe Cancelo at City till he left uh, to go on loan to Bayern. And then obviously Liverpool have got Got Robertson, Luke Shaw's done decently for Man United this season, to be fair to him. But yeah, Ben Chilwell, definitely very lucky. And as I said, you know, Ben Chilwell, ben Chilwell I think a player who under, sort of understandably to an extent kind of people wrote off a little bit after injury, got forgotten about. But just showing Ben Chilwell is such a key, key part of this Chelsea team. And as I said, with no Reese James today due to, I think, visited due to illness, uh, he was he was crucial on, on that left-hand side. Um I like Luke Shaw, by the way, and I like all the fullbacks you mentioned. But I think for all-round game, I mean, I think Chilwell is a better attacking fullback than Shaw. Yeah, yeah. And then Robertson, I mean, Liverpool are a bit shaky at the back this season. And I think, as I don't think Robertson's as all-round good as Ben Chilwell is. Um, just, just for some further comments on that. Yeah. Um, but 
as I say, man, it, it was just, you know, Chilwell is just, he, I think, I think he got dismissed because we'd brought in Kukurea and I think some people had thought that the club maybe had discarded Chilwell or not understood, but I think in that three four three formation to have them both is just perfect, really. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, you know, we're we're riding high. We think we've got a second as, as Joao Felix uh, Felix slots in. It's offside. Tom, I guess we'll talk about him briefly. It was such a weird game for Joao Felix, and obviously he gets subbed off at half time. I'm kind of when I'm watching him, I'm thinking you are really, really unlucky in the sense that he's hit the post a couple of times, he's hit the bar and post a few times. And he's had, you know, a couple of goals chucked out for offside, albeit I think that second goal, he should probably time his run, you know, but I don't think he needs to be offside there. So in another world, we could be talking about Joao Felix as having four or five goals, but then he is also massively culpable for for that Leicester equaliser, sort of caught dawdling on the ball a bit, perhaps, you know, thinking he's got more time than he does, gets dispossessed him, and it's a great, great shot that, that fires past Kepa, just, you know, moving on to Joao Felix. He's just a weird one. There's clearly, you see, when you watch the game, you clearly see what he's capable of, his talent. And there's clearly such a, a really talented and good player in there, but he's just a bit bit, um, bit unlucky and a bit frustrating and a bit naive at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. I mean, I, I didn't, weirdly, and, and I noted all the things you mentioned, I didn't watch the game and think that Joao Felix was was it was in any way really bad or no cool he was not bad at all just it was just noticing that he's been a bit unlucky you know a bit and this and then obviously has a major culpable role in Leicester's equaliser and I suppose the reason I said that is because I've seen some comments saying he had a disaster class or whatever I, I, I don't think it was that and I think everything you've noted is right I think he he adds so much to our team, particularly going well, obviously going forward. But I, I think it kind of he was completely shackled at Atletico Madrid. I think it was just a poor move for him, a poor move for Atletico. Really, um, I think you know Benfica sold to the highest bidder, and Simeone just didn't really understand or know how or, or want to use Joao Felix's creativity um, in, in perhaps the way he should and. I think maybe that lack of consistency is him coming back into a team where he's getting fed chance after chance. Um, maybe that's me being a bit nice to him. I don't know. Uh, but I think that, to be honest, he... Well, I think there's all you know, that, that that question of do we want him permanently or keep hanging over us? But I would say he's somebody who we absolutely will want to be keeping because there is so much potential there with him. He's... He's got everything it takes. The, the, the thing I would note in his game I would like to see improved is his finishing, to be honest with you. Because, um, he, cause he, you know, he's had a few few woodwork hits and a few, you know, few as you say, a few times where he really should be scoring goals that he hasn't scored. Yeah, no, indeed. And that pass and Dakagon for enough minutes maybe just got us a tiny bit frustrated going in towards half-time. But then... One of the best moments of the game. Enzo Fernandez with already his second assist for Chelsea plays a lovely through ball for Kai Havertz to instinctively hit first time over Danny Ward to send Chelsea 2-1 up. Look, on Enzo Fernandez, he has completed more passes than any other midfielder on the pitch for either side in each of his last six games in the Premier League for Chelsea. And we'll get on to him now. Tom. Obviously, we'll then talk about Kai in a sec. But Enzo Fernandez, I mean, this is a player as well who is also doing so much 
work defensively as well, making more he made more successful he's making more successful tackles two point two and interceptions one point five per ninety than any other Chelsea player in the Premier League during his opening six games. I mean that's not even, you know, his forward, but he's doing all this hard work for the team. I mean, it's early days, but 120 million and you're already looking and going, what a signing. Because he is he's got that almost that vision in midfield that we've lacked for a long time. A beautiful, beautiful ball to, to Kai to, to slot home. And people forget that he hasn't missed a game since he's joined. You know, he's been one of the few players that's been ever present. We've thrown him straight into the team and he's just delivered for us straight away. You know, he's unbelievable player. Surely our best, best creative midfielder since Cesc Fabregas. Um, and he kind of, in a way, gives off that Fabregas vibe. Um, I mean, I, I think he's Enzo. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say he's the heir to Cesc or anything like that because he's his own player, but. It's so, so encouraging. And I think that the ultimate win with Enzo is that you don't see anybody in the media now talking about his price tag or the fact he's a record signing. You don't see any of that anymore. And that shows that that kind of agenda of let's see whether Chelsea have blown 100 million, 120 million or whatever. You're not hearing that anymore because I think people understand what Enzo Fernandez provides to this team. And I mean, ultimately... People, people were nervous when we, you know, let Jorginho go for a um, sort of. Some might say unproven in the Premier League midfielder, but I think, to be honest, it was a very, very smart move. Enzo Fernandez also has completed more successful passes into the opposition box against Leicester in four than any other Chelsea player. So again, just showing his his importance to the team, and obviously he has a lovely part to play in the in the third goal, which we'll get onto a bit later on. But Tom, that second goal scorer, Kai Havertz, just continues, you know, that sort of rounds up an excellent week for Kai Havertz, a player who, you know, talked about so many times, can leave you very frustrated, but also just shows his class at times. And it's just one of those way you go, it's just about getting the best out of him so far. And who knows, maybe Enzo is a player that, that can help get the best out of him. It's always been about consistency with Havertz because We've seen him when he's been at his best, but he's just not not been at his best often enough. And there's been this talk about, oh, we only get good towards the end of the season and that. And as I say, two superb performances from Havertz. Um, you know, that forward man, and he also moved on to the wing yesterday. Um, and he's someone where you ask that, you know, when you got him as a forward option... You know, people saying they want him to go. I'm not sure that that's that's you know going to be sustainable if he if he keeps performing like this because we're going to want him. I mean, he's he he just offers so much when he's on this form, like his movement, his ability. It's just it really is shuddering, and it's what we paid seventy million pounds for. And as I say, it's always been about consistency and. I said it after Dortmund, and I and I'm really glad that he's continued it today or yesterday. I keep thinking it's I haven't gone to sleep since again. But I think with Kai, we've just got to keep seeing this for him. It's so so important that he's consistent. And if he does, Potter's Potter's going to be forced to play him every week because, as I say, so so good. Yeah. No. Indeed. And that's us two one up. A half time. Tom, next player I want to kind of focus on, Mikhailo Mudrik. That, if ever you heard like the, the term, the cliche, a tale of two halves, that kind of felt like that with, with Mikhailo Mudrik. That first half, I thought he was pretty poor, pretty anonymous. His touch deserted him at points. But then in that second half, 
he was superb. Obviously, he has a goal ruled out for offside. And finally, you know, gets a goal contribution late on game assist for Kovacic's stunning goal. Mikhailo Mudrik created more chances too than any other player for either Chelsea or Leicester inside the second 45 between both clubs. And it just shows, you know, get him. Just don't, don't you know, rush to, to judgments on any sort of player just yet. But Tom, that was encouraging to see from Mudrik, especially that second half. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think with Mudrik, he he remember he hasn't had a preseason. Um, he hadn't played since I think November with Shakhtar. So when when we signed him, I think people, some people, and I'm not saying not saying yourself, but um, you know, some fans didn't necessarily understand the fact that it was going to take time to get him to match fitness, to get him to a level where he could start regularly. He came in today, you know, shook off the rust in the first 45. And honestly, that assist for the third goal was sublime, really, really good. And I just love his confidence to take men on on the runs. Um, I love his his movement. He's exactly the sort of winger we need. And I don't know if I don't know about other people. I see some shades of Eden Hazard in there just a little bit, just the way he moves about the way he's so quick so skillful oh it's 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 a joy to watch honestly it's an absolute joy to watch yeah yeah the third goal scorer Mateo Kovacic Tom I mean that man only scores bangers it seems he only scores like really really lovely goals for Chelsea indeed indeed and I guess on that obviously it's a sublime finish Mateo Kovacic had another excellent game for Chelsea in the midfield yesterday he won possession back in midfield, uh, is winning possession back in midfield 3.1 times per game, more than any other Chelsea player in 2023, first player to reach over the three landmark. And Tom also, his sort of return to form exactly coincides with a captaincy, almost feels like a captaincy is bringing this little bit extra out in cover. I think, you know, before there's been, well, and rightly so with cover, there's been a lot of frustration this season that he's struggled to be fit you know he's been sort of nursing an injury but then he goes to the world cup for croatia plays all that game time and we you know we'd not seen that prior to or or really since the world cup and then he plays against southampton we lose one nil he's then unavailable for the spurs game but then he's been back and he's been you know captain the last three games and he's put in three really really solid performances and i guess that's just really encouraging to see and just a reminder that you know mateo kovic is showing what he offers, what he can offer, and then also just maybe making us question, you know, going back to cover, maybe do sign that, maybe do sign that contract. I don't know, because there's been, you know, certainly on my part, I've been kind of willing to go, okay, maybe this is the last season of Mateo Kovacic. I think he's a a brilliant player, no doubt, and he he certainly offers, but he, you know, not been really available much this season. He does have his injury issues, etc. And at times, you know, I don't think, I think Chelsea can live without him, but these last three games have really been a reminder of what Mateo Kovacic can offer to this Chelsea team. Well, Graham Potter's got a degree of a degree in emotional intelligence, and maybe he realised that giving Cover responsibility would release more out of him. And if that's the case, it really has paid off because he, I think you can see the importance with which he takes the armband. Um, and, and actually, I think similar with Kepper. But besides the point, I think with Kovacic, it's been about fitness, and I think. The interesting thing is at Milan, at um, Real Madrid, they've all said the same, that, you know, he he's never consistently played across a season to make him be considered one of their best players, despite, you know, his clear technical ability, his, you know, 
his his ability in the midfield and his presence. And Chelsea's been the one club where I think he has shown that at least on occasion, like, you know, Frank's first season, winning player of, player of the year, player of the season. And as I say, since then, it's been, he's kind of been swept under the carpet, you know, by Frank, then Tuchel preferring Kante and Jorginho. So it is great to see cover, you know, in this, even if it's just a small run of form, get back to something resembling his best. And whether the armband's done anything to help that, I think it probably has. It's 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 just great to see. And people questioning we haven't got leaders in there in the team. And I think Kovacic has acted like one, you know, in the last three games. And and the team, and, and I'll make this note too, and, and it's kind of kind of related to Cobber because he was the first to go over to the fans after his goal yesterday. The team itself is so much more, or just feels so much more connected now. I mean, every player went up to the fans at the end of the game, applauding. It's not one where, you know, two or three players come around. Every single one came and, you know, came and saw the fans. You have you know, Kova leading that charge. And as I say, maybe there's still life in the man yet at Chelsea. Um, particularly as, as I say, if he keeps playing like this, I don't see how they can't extend him, honestly. Yeah, I guess it's more a question if if Kovac himself wants to extend. But these last few games have been really, really nice to to watch. And yes, yeah, so that's the goal that finally kills the game off, and it means that Chelsea won their first Premier League away game since October. It was a long, long way. It's been been a painful few months, certainly on the road for Chelsea. But that was really nice. It just rounded off, you know, a really wonderful day of the King Power. Say, so obviously, you know, credit to to, to the likes of Koulibaly again. Uh, for for his game, you know, Kukurella again, well done there. Obviously, I guess as we kind of touched, we were talking about prehand. Kepa was like maybe the one, maybe one of the maybe slight, risk, you know, concerning ish aspects. But I mean, we won three one. Obviously, he comes for crosses twice, slaps at them. Uh, one, you know, both end up in chances. For Leicester, won a goal line clearance from Conor Gallagher, and then won a complete scuff and miss it. That falls gratefully into oh, yeah. to Kepa's hands, you know. But in general, that was. That was just a really nice, you know, performance, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, in the Premier League table does not change anything. We are still 10th in the Premier League, but the gap you know, has closed a little bit. We are only, and we say only, five points off fifth place Liverpool at the time of recording. Obviously, Newcastle play later that, you know, they could then go yeah, above Liverpool, etc. Brighton, for Brighton as well. You've got, you've got a lot of teams below Liverpool with games in hand on them. Yes, so, that I mean, is very that, true. We will have to wait to see. No, I know, of course. We'll have to wait and see. But it's just nice, you know, a little bit perspective. And we've got, you know, whisper it quietly, some decentish fixtures coming up. Although we kind of said that when we I said that when we failed to beat the likes of Southampton, etc. as well. But it was just nice and it was three wins in a row and it was just just a nice to be to be going home, you know, happy after a Chelsea game. That's, you know, two consecutive weekends where Chelsea have been really, really you know, they've left you in a happier, in a happier mood. Oh yeah, I've got a question for you, Nick, on this. Um, I know, I know, you're the host and I'm the guest, but I'm going to spin it around on you. Would you take a spot in the Europa Conference League if we improve our form dramatically in the next sort of ten games? Uh, I don't know, Tom. I'll be brutally honest. I'm kind of, I'm in that weird state where I'm sort of wanting no Europe next season. I was brilliant. at that point when we were on that horrible form, but I now am at the point that it'd be a great chance to get some youngsters some minutes. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I 
I, I really don't know on it, to be honest. Like, Europa Conference League, sure, I think, I mean, I, with a great respect, I think West Ham should probably be winning that competition this season from what the teams I've seen left in the Europa Conference League. Again, I could, that's, you know, that's just from like a quick glance. And I mean, West Ham are, are really struggling in the Premier season. I think the Europa, way for Europa Conference League is something, you know, we could, should definitely be winning next season. But it's just, it's one of those, I'm not sure on European football how, but again, I'm also, people can just think I'm a bit of a snob. If it's not Champions League, I'm not really interested in it, to be brutally honest. Oh, like, uh, really? The Europa, That's interesting. The Europa League doesn't really do it for me. I actually prefer, the Europa League is a competition. I like when Chelsea aren't in it. I like last um, year's running, last year's competition. I actually really enjoyed watching the latter stages with the likes of Rangers, Rangers. etc. But when you've got teams like, and again, we'll see what happens. But I mean, Manchester United and Arsenal, probably, you'd imagine, draw dependent would probably go on and, maybe dominate this Europa League and I'm just kind of left a bit like near by I don't know I mean it will, we'll have to see obviously we've got a bit of going to get Europa League football still because you said there are teams ahead of us with, with games in hand on Liverpool but yeah I'll, I'll be honest it, it's one of those we'll have to kind of wait and see how the season goes Europa Conference it's why, like, I, Conference is seventh isn't it yeah, and Europa the, League is fifth and sixth at the start of the season I kind of like when we were struggling under Tuchel I was kind of joking about <laughs> get the Conference League be nice one to to win next season but the more I kind of think about it, the more I'm like, well, yeah, but I, I actually have very little interest in watching some of these guys. <laughs> Obviously, I would watch, but I would have very little interest in some of these games. So it's a tough one. But I, I will happily admit I'm a bit of a snob. And if it's the Champions League and Chelsea, if Chelsea aren't in the Champions League, I'm really not interested in really any other form of European competition. I will happily say that. Um, okay, that's an interesting point. I mean, for me... I would take Europa League without yeah. thinking about it because I just think, firstly, it's nice to get some games. It's it's nice to have European football at the bridge. And I mean, I think with Europa, it's also another route to the Champions League. Yeah, and... obviously that aspect is what the main thing you've got going for it. But then that's also my issue with Europa, that it's more like a back, it's like a second option for the Champions League. Rather, that's more important than the actual trophy itself, which is sort of why I sometimes get a bit... I know, you it's one saying of that off to Baku, mate. That is true, but I'll be brutally honest. That game, I, that game, for different reasons, I felt completely not as fussed about other people because it was two weeks after the season ended. It was in Baku, like nobody could get there. It felt pre-season yeah. almost at points. But yeah, no, look, it's one of those things. If we if we get into the Europa League, obviously it's an opportunity, and there's the opportunity to still play some cool cool sides out there. There's a potential for some cool trips for for people to go. I'm not obviously against the Europa League, but it's just one of those things. That I, I'm just not the Europa League. With Chelsea in it, I can't get excited or fussed about the Europa League till the semi-final stage. Realistically, I'd I like, get that. I get and it's that. just one of those. But I will struggle to really be that uh, fussed about. And again, it's just one of those things that obviously we we'll have to see. But like we've got past Dortmund on Tuesday night, and that was a brilliant European night. That was the best European night of a bridge with fans in since that PSG semi-final, PSG quarter-final in 2014, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's like to go from that to then like playing in the Europa League. I'm almost like part of me is also almost just like I just rather not have any European football at all, and then just sort of like you know just then eventually hopefully come back into the Champions League and get more nicer. It's but again that's just me and how I view it, and I completely understand why people want some form of European football, and I don't think it's a bad option or decision to want European football. This is just me just going like if it's not Champions League, I'm really not fussed about it for Chelsea. But that's also because I've literally grown up with Chelsea being in the Champions yeah, League pretty much every, every season, year. so mm. I'm you know used to it. And I will happily say, happily admit that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Right. Let's actually get into some listener questions first question comes in from Dieter hi guys what was better the assist for the second goal or the goal itself and why and who was your man of match I mean Tom we can briefly I mean it both were really good I mean there's something that's not even talked about all three goals yesterday were volleys um, yeah oh yes of course Chilwell's so. goal of volley Kai's goal of volley uh, and obviously Cover's goal of volley I mean it's tough Dieter that was almost it's not I don't want to say it's quite as good but that it's almost like people draw the assist. That's almost like one of the things when, like, what was better, cesspool to Sherl, you know, cesspool to Sherl was almost better than uh, the goal itself, right? I mean, I don't know. Both both were pretty good detail. I, I ain't picking between one, two. I love those finishes from Kai, also really aesthetically pleasing to watch. Tom? I just can't stop watching that assist. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't love the assist. What I loved, the thing I loved about that goal that I haven't heard people speak about as much was Kai's like non celebration and the way that he, he thinks he's offside. Ball. I'm pretty sure he thinks he's offside. Think no, I'm pretty see, sure he I thinks think, he's offside. See, I think he picks a ball out of the net and he just knows how good that ball was. And it was like, bloody hell. <laughs> now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong and he's not over celebrating it. And, he, and he's actually just, as you say, he does think he's off. I, I just, I mean, in the crowd, we thought he was off. For a while, and then it was like, but that I can't stop replaying that that ball from Enzo. I, I'd, I'd be lying if it was a very smart finish. Don't take anything away from that. And I saw it on Sky that that they described it as a chipped finish. And the football cliches man in me, I'm not sure if it was a chip. I can see I can see why they say it's it more is. like a it's like a yeah chip feels wrong because a chip I always associate is from a ground position where that was aerial. That was more exactly. like a lob or a dink. That was like a little dink or a lob. Yeah, a dink. Dink is probably the term I would prefer. A dink. I yeah. couldn't agree more. I mean, I think doesn't matter. It was yeah, exactly. a gorgeous it's a goal. finish. But uh, uh, his second question: Who is your man of the match? I mean, it was a tough one. I said, I mean, not even mentioned. You know, barely mentioned him. But I thought Koulibaly again yesterday. Excellent. He's had a really good run of games, and maybe it shows that his best position is in that centre of a back three, which is obviously going to be interesting when Thiago Silva is back but I thought he was he was excellent obviously gets you know gets the assistant uh, plays an important part in Chilwell's first goal and again I thought Cucurella again was was pretty pretty solid on sort of that left-hand side of of a back three made more successful tackle seven and more interceptions too than any other Chelsea player against Leicester I mean he was really good I mean Tommy it feels quite I mean for me I've probably got to go Enzo just because the part he plays in the second goal he also as we said barely even mentioned he plays a lovely sort of outside of a foot pass uh, you know, for the third goal, you know, the build-up for the third goal as well. I mean, it's, it's tough. There are a lot of outstanding candidates there yesterday. I, I would say Enzo was my man of the match. 
Enzo's a great shout. As you said, Kulabali was very good. For me, I think it's got to be Ben Chilwell. Uh, I, maybe because it's his away, you know, it's his old club, um, that, that celebration, I found it, I found it hilarious. And I just think he, he, uh, he, he and Reese James make our team so much better. For me, it's Chilwell. Um, but again, Enzo, Havertz, even, you, you can make a case for anyone. Kovacic as well, I think, definitely should be part of that conversation. I mean, as I say, I wish I could make them all man of the match in a way. Um, yeah. Other than no. possibly Kepa. Yeah. And no, I haven't even mentioned it. I think what I will say also credit to some credit I want to give to Wesley Fafana because I think obviously he was also returning to Leicester yesterday and he gets yellow carded earlier. And I thought he looked him at first up potentially at times a little bit risky. I did almost fear at times there might be a slight head loss for him, but from that, sec- that second half was very was a lot better for him. Very composed, very calm and, and helped. And again, that was another solid performance from Wesley for Fana there. Um, next question comes in from Dan Burgess. Blimey, three goals in the game, the first in an away game since last May and three on the spin. Presuming we stay in this setup, is it an instant sacrifice for Cover, who seems energised by being captain, by the way, something we kind of said earlier, for Kante? Or how do we adjust again back into the squad and progress? I mean, because Tom, this is the next question. And go to Kante is sort of back in training. What And the Kante situation is going to be interesting because we obviously know Kante, what he is capable of. We also know the Champions League, those are the games we're going to really, where we really do see the quality that he has him. He went obviously on that mad run, you know, stretching back to, what, end of 2021 and beginning of the knockouts last year where he was picking up man of the match in basically every single knockout stage game. I mean, for me, I'm really, I'm wrapping Kante in cotton wool, particularly if he is signing this new deal that, you know, is supposedly rumoured um I'm wrapping him in cotton wool and essentially I'm only playing him in risking him in the Champions League quarterfinals if needed and potentially Champions League moving forward but what about you we're gonna need to rotate you know we can't be relying on two midfielders it looks to me like Zakaria the club or the manager have made the decision not to buy so that's why I think Zakaria is well I will say he's quite a useful one off the bench again shut helps see off the game against Dortmund you know I think that was you know I think he will still have a role to play, but I agree with you. We're not. I don't think we're really looking at Zakaria as a starter in, in the Champions League at all. Whether that's whether whether that's right or not is a different discussion because yeah. I think he was he was pretty good for a while. Um, I mean, I think you need three midfielders, and, and I, I I would I would love to be in a position you're in and saying, oh, let's wrap him in cotton wool. But knowing the injury record of cover, I'm not sure we're going to have that luxury. Maybe you know, I'm not wishing it. I, I don't want that. But I'd be I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, we are gonna need rotation, we're gonna need a third yeah. midfielder in that double six. So no, of course. let's see, he's a great option to have and we are gonna need him. Um yes, but I mean the Champions League is where he's gonna be most important because as you rightly say, that's gonna be that's gonna be the you know, that's our season really at this point, unless we can salvage something in the league. Yeah, no, exactly. That's kind of why I'm kind of more inclined to to give him that. And obviously, you know, maybe we could try, you know, we could give Zechariah some starts in the Prem if if needed, because ultimately, you know, the Premier League, I know people who listened to this podcast before said, but I'm pretty nonplussed about what's what happens in the Premier League we're from not now to the end of the season. Now. Exactly. Yeah. We're not getting relegated, you know, so we're kind of fine, fine there in Champions League, you know, is is gone. 
certainly qualifying in the top four is basically gone bar an absolute capitulation from pretty much every single team above us. Um, so that's why I'm kind of more just leaning on basically wrapping Kante in Cotton Wool for, for the Champions League. And obviously you need to build his fitness up prior to that. So there will be opportunities. But or I'd also say there's an international break coming up. And I'd say Chelsea yeah. just do not play him before the international break. Do not give France an excuse or a reason to take him with them. Uh, so keep 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 him away. So you know we've got Everton I think next week before the international break. So I would not have him involved there. We do not want him going away there. Um, but yeah, that is one thing. Ultimately, we we've, we've got some options there. But I would say Kante. I'm I'm looking for the Champions League. But obviously, it will just depend on 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 what that draw looks like as well, etc. And we will just have to see. But obviously, if we say get knocked down the quarterfinals by a team and then the Premier League, there's not a huge amount to play for. I'm being very very careful with, with Kante moving forward because I said if we've got if he's signing a new deal then nothing best than to get him back ready for for next, next season. season um I agree with that couldn't next, agree with that more next question comes in from Jer Mudrick really got into the game after being a ghost for most of it after the switch to a back four do you think Potter is ultimately re- reverts to a back four in the long run and what are your minimum expectations to club for the end of the season I mean Jer I'll be brilliant I don't think we're going to switch to a back four I don't Three of the back has served us well. I know we kind of switched to back four, sort of what the last twenty-ish minutes yesterday, uh, and obviously I think that we did look fairly good in the back four there. But I think the three of the back, certainly in the Champions League, is the route we've got to go. Just looks so much more solid, and I think you you know that structure suits us better in the Champions League as well. Um, and as for my minimum expectations for the end of the season, we kind of reached that quarterfinal. But I was saying just get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and see. About like weeks ago, I was saying, I hope we can get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and then, you know, show progress, show some encouraging signs in the Premier League. And I'm kind of fairly happy with that. So we've reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I can't say what I expect for Champions League because it's draw dependent now. It It is really draw dependent on who we got. I would back ourselves against AC Milan. I'd back ourselves against winner of Inter Milan Porto. Benfica, would, Benfica, I think people are maybe slightly being a bit like, easy on like that because oh, Benfica, no, they're Benfica, they're Benfica topped a group with, with PSG but I would obviously take Benfica and I think we could do something do something there um if Leipzig were to shock City next week that would be very nice uh I would take 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 Leipzig um and then obviously I mean Napoli is one that I think are a dark horse mm. of teams but I think Napoli are one of those teams that ultimately they play such good football but the best teams I don't think always win the competition. I think realistically, you could be Napoli. They could easily you see them get knocked out by a, a Madrid or a Bayern or or someone in the in the next round. But we'll see. Napoli, I would not. You know, Napoli, I would think we could get through because I think we could get past Napoli. But that would be one of the tough ones. But obviously, I'd be looking more at Inter Madrid? slash Porto. I don't want Madrid, Tom. I don't want Madrid. I saw what they did to I Liverpool, what, I, I and I know Liverpool aren't like, great. But... I know what UEFA are like. Remember when we played PSG three years in a row? Yeah, no, obviously. Barcelona three narr- years in a row? Yeah, the narrative is building towards a Real Madrid rematch and me just being shown, you know, that Modric ridiculous outside of a ball pass to, oh, uh, to, Rodrigo. to Rodrigo to, to put it 3-1 and send to extra time. But no, look, I, the only teams I would not really be very happy facing are Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. In, what in, city? In, Correct. Sorry, yes, and City. If City get through, because I'm not, I'm not having us play City six times in one season. That's enough. That's too much. That's too much. Knock we haven't scored against them since quarter. Yeah. No, exactly, exactly. So, no, it's draw, draw dependent on the Champions League when that Champions League draw happens, which is uh, next Friday at what, 11 a.m. Uh, 
that'll be interesting because if we get a kind of draw, then I think there's a potential to go and look, go, yeah, we could reach the semi-finals potentially. Um, and this team is suited for Europe and our best football, not just under Potter, but in previous regimes as well, has come in Champions League competition. This squad of players is suited for the Champions League. So we'll see there. As for the Premier League, Joe, we'll just kind of see. I don't really say like a minimization. I can't say like a league position. I would say, you know, the worst we should finish is where Play we are now, in, which is 10th. That's the worst we should finish realistically. And I would hope we could maybe come, you know, ninth or eighth. But ultimately, as I said, it also goes back to my earlier point. I'm really not fussed about European football if it's not the Champions League. So my expectations for it may well be very different for people. I just ultimately want to see some enjoyable performances from Chelsea. And I'm aware that we will not win all our remaining games to the end of the season. But if we can just see performances, see things to get encouraged by and see signs of progress, which we have seen in these last three games, that's ultimately something that I'm just, that's what I care about for the rest of the season. Because the Premier League finish isn't going to really matter a huge amount where we finish in the league. Um, Tom, what are your just thoughts on expectations for the season and I guess the back four thing? I completely agree with you on the Champions League. I mean, I think ultimately the only way I can see us getting to the final, and I mean, unless there's some amazing resurgence, is if we get a, a draw side of being like Benfica, Inter or Porto and then AC Milan, if that's our side of the draw... Yeah. I would back us to make the final. I mean, that's one combination of probably thousands. Yeah. So I don't think that that's likely, but I'll put it out there. That's our route to the final. In that situation, I'd be very disappointed if we didn't, you know, if we didn't make the semis and didn't really have a good go at the final. In terms of league, league, I mean, I, I would like some form of European football. I think any improvement we make in a season without European football is almost a bit artificial. As you could see with Arsenal for a while, that one, that first year under Arteta where they didn't really improve without it. I mean, us under Conte when we won the league without European football, but then when we played every week, struggled a lot more. Um, I mean, I don't think it'll be an unuseful thing if we have no Europe, but I think it would be far better if we did have it. Um, whether that's conference league or whatever, but ultimately it's about improving performances. Like I'd far rather see us play better and lose out on Europe on the final day than be playing badly, but getting like conference league because of, you know, teams capitulating above us. Uh, And as you say, yeah, Champions League is completely dependent on the draw. Um, We've got to hope that, as I say, we get that, that dream side of the draw that I was mentioning earlier. And we avoid the kind of big four horror teams um, where we would just be into, in the words of Conte, to suffer. Um, and on the back four, see, I think in the long term, we might be considering a back four. I think if we get in a suitable DM, yeah. I think there's every chance Potter in the long term wants to move back to it. Perhaps not even fully informed by him, but also I think perhaps Todd Bowley wants to play a four. Because I remember he mentioned that, you know, Thomas Tuchel played the four in that preseason game against Arsenal to kind of make a point that we weren't ready for a four. Um, so I'm not going to say, you know, I, I don't think we'll see it this season, to be honest. I yeah. think Potter's found his tune, but... Past that point, I could 100% see us going back to it. Whether that's, as I say, whether that's right or not, I don't know. But I think 
we need a lot of signings before we're going to look really good in the fall. Yeah, exactly. And I think we kind of seen the back three helps just, you know, certainly in Europe again, helps provide that protection to Enzo and cover, gives them a bit more. It's bit like more a safety license. net. Yeah, exactly. It's, like an, it's the ultimate safety net. But the problem with it is, I don't know. I mean, there's this argument, is it sustainable? And I saw, I saw some threads about whether it was or whether it wasn't. Can you can you play a three four three and win the league? Yes, Chelsea showed you can, but it obviously that season under Conte, it was kind of a matter of other teams just didn't know how to counter it, and obviously because it's so much more common now than it was back then in English football, it will be a lot more difficult to win the league playing three four three. I suspect. Yeah, there were also. A city in transition, Liverpool in transition, United in transition. And our biggest rivals were Spurs, so that kind of sizzle. But no, it was still obviously a fantastic achievement. But yeah, obviously some context as well for the three then. And we kind of saw last season, you know, the three worked to an extent to a period last season. And then injuries happened and then it all fell. The three was no longer really affected. So we'll see. But yeah, Joe, I think for the rest of the season, I would go the three, three back because I think it just suits us best. And obviously before... If we get that DM in, then maybe we can. And Tom, this next question kind of links on that. I'm going to dedicate, it comes from Daniel. I'm going to de- dedicate this question to Enzo Fernandez because I already love him that much. What were your thoughts on his performance today? I think we've already kind of talked about that, Dan, earlier. How important do you think he is to Chelsea's future? Okay, we'll get on to that in a sec. And what player not named Declan Rice would you see his, has his ideal DM partner? Because Tom, obviously, and this is all Enzo and we're not, you know, not really in, you know, an ideal, we're not already playing him sort of in an ideal position, right? This, you know, we'd like him to, maybe play a bit bit further forward than he is but it's just thoughts on how important do you think he is to Chelsea's future because we've already discussed his performance and then what player not named Declan Rice would you see as, as his ideal DM partner so I think Enzo Fernandez is you know the ultimate he's he was bought for that money to be the linchpin of our midfield for years and years to come I'm absolutely certain of that I you know he is so, so important. And there's a reason why they also they, they put him on such a long-term deal. Um, because they see that that he it's worth it. Obviously, there's that accounting side, but you don't just do that for the sake of it. They've invested a hell of a lot of money in him, and quite rightly, in my view. Um, I don't think anybody will disagree with that. In terms of a DM partner, that depends on formation for me, because yeah. And I'm going to be a bit annoying that in a 4-3-3, I would absolutely say Declan Rice is is the man to play deep, right? In a 3-4-3, it's a slightly different um it's a slightly different question. Um I think Moises Kaikado could be a really nice option in a 3-4-3, um, in a sort of pivot role. Um, you know, super, super good, you know, um, cr- you know, creative, but also got that defensive mindset too. He'd be great in a pivot. Um, other than that, I'm having a think of sort of top midfielders. The midfield market is so saturated, right? They're, they're, at the top level, there really aren't many. Um, I'm not one for Jude Bellingham. I don't think you can have Jude and Enzo in the same team. I'd be interested to know what your view is on that. Um, well, both Dan, but also you, Nick. Um, so for me, it would be you know a, a sort of Rice or a Kaikado type player. Um, I'm struggling to think of anybody else, although I'm sure there are going to be other good options. Yeah, I'll be 
Uh, obviously, Dan, as your first point, how important is he to Chelsea's future? Yes, very important. And he already, you can see, again, just his passion and, and how much he kind of already is like so happy to be here. Already, that's really nice to see he'll be a player that came, that is here for future. Thomas, your point, Bellingham. I mean, yeah, obviously, Bellingham's not really, Bellingham's not DM anyway. So it's that does, you know, to Dan's point, Bellingham's not option and we've got you know oh, we've did, got... He ask, did, did he ask dm, DM specifically yeah. dm specific oh, i thought he asked midfielder pardon me yeah yeah, yeah. No. I, I so obviously be- yeah so that. as for your point on benning manzo no i don't think you can have both from the same side you i think Be- bellingham bellingham is kind of gone now we've got enzo and that's that's fine um oh i didn't really talk about on the pop jude bellingham i think he's a fantastic young player um i was i really was not he did not impress me at all over those two legs against Chelsea, against us. He did not stick out or go strike me as some absolutely outstanding young player or whatever there. You know, he's a good player. We'll have a big future, but I, you know, not really fussing him. And Dan, ask your question. I mean, I'm literally thinking like Caicedo, just because he's someone who's been linked to us. He's literally the only person I can really think of is in that, in that DM sort of, DM sort of role, really. Um, I'm really, really struggling. There was, um, Lavia as well, I would. I, would I know say. there's obviously yeah, Lavia at Southampton. If Southampton go down, maybe that's something to consider. Again, this is maybe a roguish one. I don't even can't remember. Even don't even remember if he played DM to be fair against. But there was that guy from Milan, Ben Benacer. I thought when we beat three 0 at Stamford Bridge, I thought he looked decent. Again, this is me, Dan, just naming names because, as Tom said, I do not know names. My go-to answer when you say this, when it's not Declan Rice, is Moises Caicedo. I do not have like a, a plethora of names because I do not watch, you know, I do not watch loads and loads of loads of football and have like a, a distinct list of names. You know, there's obviously maybe like a Benacer is maybe one, but again, I just said I wouldn't even know if he's necessarily a DM. He's just a midfielder in Europe who sort of impressed me quite a bit. I mean. Obviously, there were talks in, in the week. There was all that Chelsea might go in for back in for you know Bruno Guimaraes from Newcastle again. That would be sort of an Is interesting. Like I'm not really. No, I mean, what's he plays in that midfield with Linton and Willock? So he's probably got the deeper, deepest of the three, isn't he? So I'm like, yeah, I'd love to see him with Rice and Enzo in a four-three-three. Yeah. That would be that would be lovely. Yeah. That would. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, really like that. Dan said the aren't the options are are fairly fairly thin. I am struggling to think of you know of that option. So yeah, I said we'll say Casido. I realise it's you know kind of what Tom said, but yeah, that that's all I could really think for that one. Um, hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Next question comes in and says, Is it sustainable to switch to a 3-5-2 whenever we're leading 
when it actually results in more pressure and what is Kai's best position trait? I mean, switching to a three-five-two when we're leading, when it actually results in more pressure. Again, I did it yesterday. Again, maybe that's me. I'm not necessarily sure it did because I thought the pressure we were under from them was also the same pretty much when we were in a three-four-three. but that could just be me and my viewing game. If we're talking about it specifically yesterday to Leicester, um, I'm, so I'm not sure I agree on that. Tom, what's Kai's best position trait? God, this is a question. Been asking this question for three years, for ever since he joined. So on the on the three five two point, uh, and I will add a few, few things on that. I agree with why not be perhaps comfortable with it. I mean, I think we looked more secure when we went to four three three. Yeah, um, to be I would honest. agree there. Um, yes, certainly yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, uh, I'm not talking about generally. Time, yeah. we, have, we haven't really played a four-three-three this season, like a proper four-three-three. Um, and on Kai's best position, uh, it's so hard. I like him. I think he's into play with Felix, where they rotate. Um, you know, who's who's more forward and who's more back it was good. I actually like Kai when he was when he was out wide as well. I don't think I, I I don't think I can tell you what his best position is because I think he's one of these modern forwards where he wants to play anywhere and everywhere on the forward line. And I think if you try and pigeonhole him to a position, like when we try and made him a striker, that's when you don't get the best out of him. Whereas when you give him a more free and fluid front line, when you've got like, um, you know, when when you have Sterling with you and you've got uh, Felix, a, a similar kind of forward player. Maybe that may, maybe that does better for him when he doesn't feel under pressure to stick to a position. I understand that's a slightly weird question. And when he plays badly, I've definitely sat here and said, what is his best position? He's, you know, but maybe, may, maybe that genuinely is the way, the way you have to look at Kai and particularly with another similar player in Kunku coming in. Nobody can tell me what in Kunku's best position is, but they say he's, He's just a, a forward man in a forward in a, in a fluid front three. So, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the way we've got to look at it. Fair enough. Final question: How many more wins until Potter shifts the tide? Um, I mean, let's kind of let's get into it. There's different terms of shifting the tide because this question could be broad and it could be depend. I do not know what the ask is in terms of shifting the tide. In terms of what? Well, in the Premier League, we are tenth. So there's a few games still, I'd say, till he can shift the tide in terms of, you know, getting us up the Premier League. But, Tom, in terms of fans, which I think is probably where this question is, potentially more leaning. Again, that's just my interpretation of it. Yeah, the, this has been This has been a big seven days, seven, eight days supporter. Win against Leeds last Saturday. Win against Dortmund Tuesday night. Win against Leicester yesterday. It was... Yeah, the biggest, probably the biggest week of Grand Potter's time in charge of Chelsea so far. There were the stories and reports that, you know, the Leeds and Dortmund games were going to be crucial. If he didn't like win the Leeds, you know, didn't win either of Leeds or Dortmund, then, you know, that could be potentially, potentially it. Which again, if we're all that stage already, I think that's worrying in itself, but we seem to have got past that point anyway. So it's fine. And he's, he's here. Um, but how many wins does it to put a shift tie? Cause ultimately, I don't think people need to necessarily and again, I've been someone who is he's supported him ever since he's been here. I've said I'm not going to call for his head because I've never done that with managers while he's here. He's got my support. I don't have any deep emotional connection to him. So if he went, I would not be 
gutted like I have been with previous managers, but he's Chelsea manager. He's got my support and I really want him to do well here. There have been a lot of people who have, you know, come to the conclusion based on, you know, the evidence that they've seen so far, you know, that Potter is not the guy, but he's out of his depth. Um, And look, what I would say is ultimately, I, you know, we've won three games in a row. It's really nice. I think it's also possible for people just to praise Graham Potter for what he's done. And they don't necessarily have to change their stance on him. It doesn't make them bad or their stance bad if they're now praising him for what he's done in the last three games. They could still have that opinion and that would be absolutely fine. Also, if they were to then, you know, go, okay, you know what, I'm going to lessen my harshness, my lessen my harsh stance on him or whatever. But I think that's also fine. Ultimately, I don't think people should necessarily be changing their stance on Graham Potter game to game to game. But this has been a big, big week for Potter, one where no doubt he's bought himself some goodwill with supporters Saw his reaction at full time on Tuesday night against Dortmund, fist pumping Matthew Harding lower. And again, you saw kind of all the, as you mentioned earlier, all the players coming over to 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 the away end yesterday, and all the and as we've seen in media, the players have all, all spoken well about him. So there's clearly a desire with the players; they still really like him. There's no question about them downing tools or whatever. Get, I'm rambling on here, but I guess your point, you know, has this week how many more wins until Potter shifts for ties? The question: What's your kind of take on on Potter and the fans' relationship with him? So for me, barring a disaster now with results, I think he's got till he's got next season. I think there's no chance of relegation now. Those two wins against Leeds and yesterday against Leicester have meant that we're going to get 40 points, even if we're in another horrible run. Um, so, so I mean, as far as I think board patience, that that's my interpretation. In terms of the fans, which I agree with you, is is I think where this question is aimed. I, for context, have, have, have been supportive of Potter. I've never called for him to go. I think he's a perfect coach for a rebuild. Um, I've begun to get a bit worried after Southampton, although I, I didn't call for him out. Um in terms of fans, well, look, it's a far better... Stanford Bridge and the Chelsea Wayans are a far better place to be than after the Southampton game at home where there were boos ringing out around the stadium and perhaps not unreasonably either. Um, I mean, look, fans are not singing his name yet and you wouldn't expect that. But I do think, you know, there's no... I, I didn't hear any conversations about Potter being the right man or not being the right man yesterday. And I think as far as he goes, and he, and, he, and he, to be fair, he said this, it's about winning games and what he was doing wasn't good enough for the club. And he he, he admitted that. But, um, you know, it's shown what this week has shown me, given how amazing the away end was yesterday. It's just how quickly things can change in football, you know. You got from Chelsea being, you know, our lowest run, our worst run of form since the 1930s, people were saying if we lost to Leeds. And then what happens? We beat Dortmund, we beat Leeds, and suddenly three games won in a row in the space of, you know, literally about, you know, literally a week. And suddenly people are talking about winning the Champions League, about, you know, potentially progressing further and getting European football. So what I think Graham Potter's got to do is just keep winning games. And if you keep winning, no one's going to be discussing your future. Um and I mean, the fans, I think the fans have been quite fair to him, really. It wasn't like the Sari era where there were like, you know, active chance of you know, yeah. distaste towards him. None of that. And, and I've not experienced any of that. So, yeah, I think he, he's just got to keep going and keep winning. And soon enough, 
people will be supporting him, cheering his name and everything. So I don't think it's a matter of turning the tide. Um, I don't think there is necessarily a tide to turn because the board are so clearly backing him. Just keep winning, keep winning, and he'll get more and more popular. Yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly. So winning games, winning games gets you gets you buy-in from from supporters at the end of the day. And as I said, you know, as I mentioned, Dortmund, a lot of people have moaned at Graham Potter for maybe for way for his character, way he conducts himself on touchline. You know, they're used to passionate managers. Tuesday, you saw some passion from him, but it it felt not as I said on the pod of time, it felt natural. It didn't feel performative. It didn't feel manufactured. It just felt Graham Potter being real and being himself, mm. which is what I think all Chelsea fans can ask of him to do. And he has taken responsibility for for what's going on. I think he's also you know protected the players pretty well during this this tough run. You know, from what he said in the media and also the way he's taken care of them. See the likes of of Mark Cucurella, etc. Um, the role he's you know had it in helping those players. So, you know, there's clearly and understandably the way he's taking care of players, there's clearly gonna be players gonna gonna support him as well. As I said, there's no need to go crazy or overboard. There's no need to make, you know, definitive, loud statements about Chelsea, you know, that Graham Potter is definitely the man now or not, because you know, football is fickle and things can change so quickly. As I said, in the grand scheme of things, we're still tenth. We've just had a really nice week. And I think mm. just as as fans, when there's been a season of so little to be happy about, just take it for what it is. Don't need yeah, to really, don't need really. to look too much deeper than what than what we've seen on the surface. It's been a really nice week for Chelsea. It's been probably the happiest week of this club since that week in October when we beat Milan twice and Wolves in between. That's that's it. That's the happiest week we've had at this club since then, and it's a considerably happy week because one you know one of those was secure. I'd say even more. I'd say exactly. Even it was a lot that. even better because it was Dortmund was the knockout stages of a Champions League. Exactly, hundred percent. Agreed there. There's one where like we we kind of feel like we've earned it. We've had so much nonsense this season. And and, and it felt like it felt like we got Chelsea back in a way. Like I, 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 and I talk about for me, it's been our best week since the sanctions, to be completely honest with you, because that sanctions period was awful. And then suddenly now it feels like the plan we're building is coming coming together. And I'm not going to say coming together in the long term, but at least we're getting we're getting a team that's playing good attacking football for the first time in in ages. I mean, we did we we did well against Milan and we did well against Wolves, but this almost feels different because I've always said that there's often this death roll for managers at Chelsea. Once you lose a certain number of games, your time here is doomed. And Potter's come out the other side. And he's only the second manager I can remember that's done that, that's come out of death roll. And that, for me, is a huge, huge, huge achievement. Yeah, fair enough. As, as to your point with the sanctions, yeah, I mean, to be fair, during that initial period under the sanctions, we were winning games of football still and doing quite well. But obviously, the off- outside pitch noise made it, you know, very, very difficult time. So, yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely one of the best weeks we've we've had in a long time. And as said, as a potter, you know, as Daniel, Daniel and I can't say on Tuesday, if he comes out the other side of this, you know, really dark period that he faced, then he's going to he's going to give him so much confidence moving forward as Chelsea boss because he's you know probably going through. But you know, before this week, that's probably one of the toughest periods of his career in management, and he's you know three wins since then, and you know things are potentially potentially on the up. And as I said he's now got an opportunity just to extend it and then just, you know, give us some optimism. Because, again, that Champions League game, we've got a few games till that quarterfinal, which will be on the 11th and 12th and 18th and 19th 
of April. You know, we've got Everton at home next next Saturday, which again is again Chelsea should be winning. It'll be a tough game. You know, regardless of what people think, Everton under a team managed by Sean Dyche that will not be an easy test. Then there's an international break, which who knows, maybe that will come at the wrong, right or wrong time for Chelsea dependent. But then we've got Aston Villa at home on the first of April, a struggling Liverpool on the fourth of April. Wolves away on the 8th of April, Brighton at home on the 15th of April. And obviously Brighton is after that first leg of the Champions League. But, you know, these next four games in the Premier League, Everton, Aston Villa, Liverpool and Wolves prior to that Champions League quarterfinal gives Chelsea an opportunity to, again, just get some more confidence. Because you've got to remember going into that second leg against Dortmund, we were literally going into that with one going off that just having beaten Leeds, which was our first win since the 15th of January. Like, there was not necessarily the confidence as much confidence as they could potentially be going into that quarterfinal. And we saw what we did, you know, on that second leg, just off the back of one win. So we will see, as I said. You've just got to credit the fans also for Dortmund because that gave, the the atmosphere I'm certain must have helped the players and everyone was behind the boys. And I think weirdly that that week of the quarterfinals um, and then with Brighton, you know, between is going to be huge because that Brighton game could be the game that decides whether we get any form of European football or not. And particularly given that we want to avenge that horrible 4-1, which I was at, by the way, um, you know, we'll want to we'll want to avenge that. So that's going to be our next sort of huge week of huge week of this season. We've had this this most recent week and that's going to be the next one. We have to just ride out till then, keep winning, get into that week in the best place we can, and then once we're in that week, it's going to be it's going to be massive, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, exactly. As I said, there's potential for Chelsea. As I mean, as it stands, Chelsea are five points behind Liverpool, and Liverpool's next three games are Man City away, us away, and Arsenal at home. Those are their next. Nice. So there's the potential again, albeit, and is the caveat Chelsea have got to keep on, keep on winning. But there's a potential to, you know, close the gap to Liverpool, overtake them, etc. And then we'll kind of see where it's obviously teams ahead of us. You know, we've got to keep an, keep an eye on as well because they've still got games in hand, etc. But we'll just see. We'll just see what happens. As I said, you know, we got through this Dortmund essentially on Tuesday. Dortmund was huge because it meant our season carries on and it extends, right? And there's reason to to have excitement for the rest of the season going forward. And there's more reason... To actually also care a bit more about the Premier League games because they are an opportunity to build confidence for the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Because the quarter Champions League is what our season rests on, really. But the Premier League games we've got coming up are just an opportunity to build confidence and get players playing well and just leave us feeling in a better mood. Because also, and I, as I mentioned earlier about not getting European football, to sort of counter my point, I also do think how you sort of end the season, it can also be massively important, you know, if going into next one last season. We ended last season really poorly. Post that Champions yeah. League exit to Real Madrid, the, all the energy went out of us. Our league form stuttered a lot. We t- it took us till I think what the, our thirty sixth game, thirty sixth, thirty seventh game to secure top four. Like we kind of all knew it was probably going to happen, but it took till then for it to mathematically be secured. It was like yeah, it was after we beat Leeds three nil, and then Arsenal lost to Newcastle, and we had two games after that, Leicester and uh, Watford, which meant you know top four was already secured. But how you end the season, but then we saw last season, we didn't end great. And we, you know, it sort of festered in to this one where if we can end the season with a bit of positivity, then we can go into next season with optimism. And hopefully in the summer, Potter can cut his squad, etc. And we can move forward. But look, it's been, you know, it's been a really nice week at Chelsea. It's been the best week at Chelsea for a long time. They said, when was, you know, Chelsea hadn't won three games 
in a row since Potter, you know, took over in back in back in sort of September October time. So it's just been just been really really nice, and you know, at the end of the day, Chelsea providing happiness for people is, is what we want. So it's what look, football's all about, isn't it? Really, exactly, exactly. So look, we will we will leave it there. As I said, it's felt a big week in Chelsea season. It's felt a big week for Grand Potter. It's felt a big week for for quite a lot of players were making some statements. As I said, Marco Corrello has made a triumphant return to, to the side this last week. And hopefully that can continue. Kaladu Koulibaly in the absence of Thiago Silva has made a triumphant comeback in in this Chelsea side, etc. Ben Chilwell has had the best week of his Chelsea career since returning from injury. That is that is big for us. Enzo Fernandez, brilliant again. Kai Havertz has had his best week in a Chelsea shirt for the, fir- for, for the first time in a long time as well. Let's just keep the positivity building. As I said, Everton next week. Let's go. Let's go in into the international break in good spirits, and then we'll see. And obviously, Everton next week win that. Then we have reached the magic forty point mark as well, people. Yeah. And relegation will be all but all but you know uh, not a threat at all. But look, we've had a lot covered. Hope you've enjoyed. It's been nice. Been. Do you know how nice this feels? But I've been able to be positive about Chelsea for three episodes in a row. I don't know the last time I was able to do this on the podcast. It may well have been sort of maybe just sort of the beginning of the sanctions last year in terms of on-pitch performances, but I've probably got to go back to maybe the autumn under Thomas Tuchel before that. It's been a long, long, long time to have been able to just be this positive. Um, before we go, I will give Tom to give himself one last boss. So Tom, tell, tell people where they can find you and the Chelsea Social. So go and follow me, Tobas98 for my football takes, my ramblings, everything like that. Please do drop me a follow if you can. At the Chelsea Social, um, if if you can follow that on Twitter too, that would be amazing. There's so many, so many good creators on there. Um, as you say, you've got Tom Coley's been on here before. You've got so many other Chelsea Social guys on this pod before. But you know, go and go and give it a follow, please. Um, and then just thanks. Thank you very much, Nick. Like it's always a privilege to be on this podcast. I love the conversations i love the fact you just we just always have a really deep dive into chelsea on here it's just so great for great so great for everyone to just come on and vent about chelsea it's brilliant but not not much need for venting today it's been a very very refreshing day where we can just rave about the players and rave about the team rave about the coach as well Exactly, exactly. We want to be positive. We want to talk well about these players. We want to be, you know, we want to celebrate them. We want to, we want to be happy and support them. And we do always support them, but we want to be, cele- we want to celebrate them and be, be happy about them. And they've left us, you know, in a good mood for the second weekend running. And, you know, it caps off a brilliant, brilliant week. As I said, Tom's links will be in the description below. Make sure you check them out. As I said, we are on Twitter at that Chelsea pod on Instagram at that Chelsea pod. Whenever I do put out any likes, retweets, go a long way, just gets it onto other people's timelines as a quick reminder said if you want to look back on that brilliant night against Brishy Dortmund uh then go to Thursday's episode uh with Daniel Chards I'll leave a link to that in the description below in case anyone missed it as well um but yeah said thanks thanks for listening everybody we'll see you see you next week to, to hopefully look back at another successful game against Everton but until the next episode keep the blue flag flying high sports social podcast network 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.